is to constantly truly ask yourself is my position correct am i am i thinking this through am i am i deciding what i want my my solution to be and then working backwards from there This is Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come. Choose to be curious with us. In curiosity is a long-running theme in these shows. If you've been listening for any length of time, first, thank you. And second, you will have noticed that I worry a lot about our general lack of curiosity about people who aren't much like us. I worry in no small part because I know I fall victim to this very dynamic myself and because there's pretty compelling research that shows, one, I'm not alone, and two, it's not good for us or our democracy. And then you can imagine my concern when I came across Dan Cahan's TEDx talk from 2018 entitled, Are Smart People Ruining Democracy? Ah, I've kind of been hoping that smart people might somehow salvage democracy, but it's not that simple. Cahan is a professor of law and psychology at Yale. He's been looking at the surprising interplay of curiosity and politics. We might like to believe we can convince people on the other side of a political debate with evidence. But Cahan's research finds that those folks are likely to become even more deeply entrenched in their views in the face of more information. That's a bit of a hit to a widely held assumption that an informed public is the key for democracy and a government that works. It's what we call politically motivated reasoning. People, we, use our minds to protect the groups to which we belong from grappling with uncomfortable facts. Meaning, Our motivation to conform is stronger than our motivation to be right. How strong? Well, Cahan did a study that looked at math skills and ideology. Stay with me here. He finds that people with strong partisan ideology but weak math skills were 25% more likely to get a math calculation right when it fit their ideology. And people with strong partisan ideas who also had stronger math skills were 45% more likely to get the answer right when it fit their ideology. We're all under a lot of pressure to stick with our side. And sadly, the smarter we are, the more we use our brain power to buttress our positions. So what's a smart, concerned citizen of the world to do? Well, according to Kayan and others, choosing to be curious can help. Cahan has interesting findings about increased scientific curiosity being a proxy for being less likely to fall prey to political bias. Links on my website. But even without that, rather than beat people up with facts, what if we came at them with curiosity instead? I wanted to put that question to someone who's in the thick of politics and democracy. So I reached out to Matt Rogers. Matt and I got to know one another a few years ago when we were serving on a volunteer board together here in Northern Virginia. Matt is a political strategist by profession and in his very bones, and he was running as a candidate for the Virginia House of Delegates when I first met him. He ultimately left that race, but certainly not politics, and he now serves as chief of staff to Phyllis Randall, the chair of the Board of Supervisors for Loudoun County. 
Virginia's fastest growing county, a place that has seen tremendous change in recent years. What would he say about how curiosity shapes democracy, politics, and serving the community? And what lessons has he learned about choosing to be curious in those contexts? I'm delighted to have Matt Rogers join me today. So welcome, Matt. Oh, thank you, Lynn. It's always great to talk to you. And then for the first time on air, so really looking forward to getting into all this, that math equation thing. And then I'll just jump right into it. I try to tell people who I agree with politically, you know, we, we run into these situations where sometimes you feel like you're being attacked unfairly politically. Uh, you know, things are being said that aren't accurate. And it seems that on its face, it's an inaccurate attack. But like you said, trying to come at people with, with with facts. Facts are good as a baseline to provide the public at large with some reference material. But trying to convince someone who thinks that you're a bad person with facts as to why you're a good person, that's, uh, I'm going to have to pull that uh, research because I'll have to send that to my friends. So what have you found that works? And, you know, spoiler alert, I'm hoping curiosity fits into the equation somewhere. Yeah, uh, what I I think that what works in politics is is being confident in your position, and not feeling the need to to beat someone else down in order to feel like you know what's going on. Is is being confident that you're presenting the right solutions. Also, I think what has helped in my short political career is that really just be someone who calls balls and strikes. So often we are. We're so tribal in our politics, and so people decide their uh, solution and work backwards to you know how they arrived at that solution. Mm-hmm. Everything makes sense that way, right? So let's dig into that a little bit because when you were a candidate, mm-hmm. you wanted to be able to articulate a position, say, "Here's my position. Here's where I stand." But how did you get to that? I mean, how did that come to be your position? How do you how do you know that you are representing your constituents position? I mean, where does that come from? What's the process to get there? Well, we'll take you back. I decided to run for the House of Delegates on a long drive to Texas. It was during the COVID-19 pandemic. It was during the reckoning, uh, you know, associated with George Floyd. And I was saying it because I had a big, big microphone, not literal, but the social media microphone. And I was always telling people, hey, you know, figure out what more you can do. You know, don't always point the finger as to why things aren't going well. You know, each of us have agency. And as I thought about that, I was like, well, Matt, you have pretty much all of the required skills a ton of experience to do this job. Yes, there's there's someone currently sitting in the seat, but in America we have elections in order to determine who's the better representative. I, it was somebody that I had personally voted for multiple times. I thought was you know not a bad person, somebody who you know had represented the community. I think you raise a good point, Lynn, in that how do you ever know if you are truly uh, embodying the beliefs of, of the people you you seek to represent. And so that's why it's good for politicians to, while it's not great for their mental health, to have somebody read through the comments that they get, go to town hall events. Don't always try to go into, you know, your most friendly territory to to hear what you want to hear is to constantly truly ask yourself, is my position correct? Am I, am I thinking this through? Am I, 
am I deciding what I want my my solution to be and then working backwards from there? I think that that is something that happens in politics, you know, constantly. Yeah. So what do you wish people knew about candidacy and how how might we as constituents, voters, citizens bring our curiosity to the political landscape? I think the layperson thinks that candidacy is a lot more glamorous than it is. <laughs> There's I'm lots sure of memes about true. that. <laughs> you know, you get to have your name on things and signs and, you know, you'll see it in the newspapers, but that, you know, that's a double-edged sword. I think that people think that it's a bunch of just parties and dress-up events. No, it's it's you sitting in some room of your house for 40 to 60, depending on the office, 80 hours a week making calls, asking random people that you honestly don't know for money or for endorsements or, or, or things like that. It's a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of interacting with people. <sighs> you definitely learn to be curious <laughs> while you're <laughs> while you're doing that. So so tell me more about that. What did what did you learn? Uh well, I learned that I I did not know as much as I thought I knew. Mm. But that's a good thing. I mean, I I think that in all of us, I think we all have to even though, you know, it's easier for me to say at at 33, it, you know, it's okay that I don't know everything. I mean, even at any age, there's only so much knowledge that one can acquire and so even for topics around which that you are an expert, there's always a level, another level of expertise. You know, you have these conferences where, you know, quote, nerds go and nerd out together and they get better. And so that's, that's curiosity. That's not just fellowship. That's people, you know, looking to push themselves, push the envelope a little more each time. I mean, I was one of my big issues was, was cannabis. I wanted to accelerate. You know, now the speed is, has slowed down significantly, you know, with the change in leadership. And that's elections have consequences. But during that time, I stepped into that race thinking, you know, I, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I know all the ins and outs. And through that candidacy, I, I was calling folks in other states who had legalized and trying to learn their pitfalls and the, the different parts of it that didn't go the way that they envisioned. Uh, mm -hmm. People had reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I know you're advocating for this position. Come and get this little bit of perspective. If you guys do get here, maybe you guys could do it this way. It was very helpful, even though I didn't get to, you know, achieve that ultimate goal that I set out, you know, as a young man, I got to learn a lot and pass that knowledge on to to other people who are going to be in those positions. You know, as I was thinking about this conversation, I went looking for like, what have learned people said about curiosity in democracy? <laughs> it's not actually a very good thing to Google those words together because they don't actually come up a whole lot. But, but I found a great and interesting to me line from Learned Hand, who was a U.S. judge and legal scholar. I actually thought he had been on the Supreme Court, but that's not the case as it turns out. So I learned something in that. <laughs> but he said, the spirit of liberty is the spirit which is not too sure it is right. Mm. I hear that. And I think liberty kind of depends on us holding conviction, but also holding a willingness to be curious about maybe there's information we don't have, or maybe there's a perspective we haven't considered yet. Does that 
does that reflect what you were just saying? Does that resonate? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's the only way that that we can move forward as a society. I mean, I think there's also there's the effect when you're trying to convince someone of, of recognizing that maybe maybe you being you know it being your idea. There's something mm-hmm. you know. Maybe pride of ownership. that is what's yes. Pride of ownership <laughs> is going to stop you guys from getting to a, uh, an agreement. That happens in marriages. That happens in friendships. That happens on sports teams. That's also another area in which I've pivoted to being open to learning. And you, you see a lot of natural human in, instincts and and reactions when you cover a, a sports team like my Philadelphia Eagles who just who just are just got sent packing but you see a lot of a lot of that stuff and a lot of a failures of of not being curious i think part of that part of that really can hurt any organization sports is just a microcosm of of society in general but it it, it plays itself out in that way as well so that was actually on my list of things I wanted to talk to you about because I know, I mean, I'm also a Philly girl, you know, I know <laughs> you're a deep Philly sports fan from way yep. back. Yep. And I believe in the power of analogous thinking, right? Yes. And I was wondering what lessons, curiosity lessons, you draw from the fields and courts of your passion into politics and democracy. I mean, are there things that sports teaches you that you carry forward? I mean, we use sports analogies all the time, right? But what are the lessons? Well, the lessons are that, you know, the same playbook isn't always going to work. Mm. Uh, You know, you may have run an election three years ago, five years ago, whatever that case may be. And the way that you put out your press releases, they really resonated with people. The videos that you put out, they really resonated with people. Your signature style of delivering a speech at that time was exactly what people were looking for. Unfortunately, in sports and in life and in politics, people get a little too drunk on their own success. And so they become, I, I want to say dogmatic in, in the way that they do things. Once they have that success, they believe that they've come up with like the recipe for success. And, and what happens is other teams, other politicians, the other team is looking at what you did, maybe mimicking what you did to bring it into what they do, and then also poking holes in, in, in your strategy. And that plays a factor in in what the Philadelphia Eagles, one of their downfalls this season was that they got too drunk on their success from last season. And they, they came into this year saying, you know, we do what we do and the other team's just not going to be able to stop us. And I think that that's a failure, like you would say, in curiosity, the reality is that, you know, people are working really hard to find ways to stop you. And so if you stop advancing your own speeches or videos or your policy knowledge in a specific area, if you stay stagnant, you're allowing other people to catch up and know exactly what you're going to come at them with. So that happens in sports, in life, and in politics constantly. I also hear that if you stay too wed to an idea of who you are, or how you do what you do, and you don't remain sort of open to other possibilities, or (laughs) 
evidence around you that the world has changed, you know, that yes. the context is different, that you do that at your peril. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was, that was one of my key messages in, in my candidacy, I think my political candidacy. And I think that the message was, was heard. I think that somebody needed to step up and say that because the the reality is, is that too often in politics, we kind of, we kind of just dream of yesteryear and think, you know, oh, everything was beautiful. Like, you know, today, as we go through the, this election, you know, some people who agree with me politically, you know, dream back to the days of early 2009 when, you know, a certain president was inaugurated as if everything was perfect then. Everything wasn't perfect then. You know, people dream back to the days of the early 90s when we had, you know, more robust bipartisanship. But that also came with its own challenges because that bipartisanship and the, those good feelings it also covered over the fact that there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of representation of people who looked like me so it may have been easier to so i think that too often we get wedded to these ideas of when things were perfect and that you know we can just go back to a specific recipe just cook it up and you'll get the exact same thing and i think curiosity forces us to to reimagine and maybe push forward and try to, and try to think that, you know, maybe things were good before and they can be good again, but it's not going to, it's not the exact same recipe to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about that in the context of Loudoun County mm-hmm. and your job as a chief of staff. So we yep. never actually talked about this, but in my professional career, I kind of came up through that, you know, head of administration, chief operating officer, same thing, right? You're yeah. like, Oh my gosh, you got your arms around a lot of stuff. And I found in my version of that world that I needed to be like aggressively curious (laughs) in order to to have my hands on things because it was sort of my job to know everything. Yes. But I was better when I didn't know everything and I was curious. And I'm wondering if you have found the same thing to be true in your job. Oh my God. Yes. Um, <laughs> the reality is, is when I stepped into the office that I currently am fortunate enough to have, I I had not worked local government before. And when Chair Randall said, you're going to be great at this, I was like, okay, thanks for believing in me. You endorsed me as a candidate. So I know, I know that we like each <laughs> so other. So why, why do you think she thought you would be great at it? I think she's right because, because I am, and I think that's why you asked me to come on because I, I just... I kind of exude that curiosity a little bit. I'm, I don't tend to be somebody who, you know, I, we all have our, our moments, but tend to be somebody who's afraid to say, I don't know. I think I, that's something that people appreciate about me is that, you know, if I don't know, I'm not just going to say, oh, I don't know. I don't, in a way, like, I don't care. I don't know the answer. I'm not going to give you an answer that's going to be BS. And so, that has really helped me here in this role because I didn't know a thing about data centers when I got here three years ago. Now I, I know a ton about it. Okay, stop for a minute and explain for people elsewhere in the country who may not understand why data centers is a thing in Loudoun County. Yes. So you have to store so that the cloud physically exists. It's not cloud like when you fly over an airplane. The cloud does literally exist and it's stored 
around 60% of that is in Loudoun County, Virginia, of the world's internet traffic. You go pull up a YouTube video, you are probably pulling from servers. You go on your Gmail, you're pulling from servers in Loudoun County. You do a business transaction with your debit card in a few minutes to... uh, I don't know, subscribe to Lynn's podcast or, or whatever it may be. You use your Visa card. That's right off of Loudoun County Parkway. That is physically stored. They do millions of transactions a day. And so I didn't know anything about this. This is all all new information. I didn't understand zoning. I didn't understand the difference between industrial park, office park, suburban mixed use, suburban compact. These are all ideas. And then now over the last summer, I was able to help put together a, a rewrite of the county zoning laws that hasn't happened in 20 years. And so it, that is all built on the, the my willingness and, and not to, you know, pump myself up too much. But honestly, my my success has been because I'm willing to say I don't know. And then I can I, I'll surround myself with people who do know. I mean, I got to give respect to, to my colleagues uh, on the board of supervisors, other people who are legislative assistants and such, you know, I lean on them and I know that they've been doing this longer than I have. There are people who are not political appointees like me in the building that I constantly pick their brain. Our economic development uh, director, I constantly pick his brain to, to try to learn because the reality is that's the only way you're going to get better. You can stay stuck in what you think you know and spin your wheels for 20 or 30 years, or you can try to evolve constantly. And that's what I try to do. You know, nobody in Loudoun County knew what these data farms were, right? I mean, it was a rural, a rural county. Yes. So it has experienced tremendous change. And, and I look at that and I think, wow, I don't know how you go through that without trying to leverage curiosity to help you make that transition. Absolutely. So, you know, I realized that I I neglected a really important part of your life when I did your introduction. Okay. And that is that your other great accomplishment is that you're a father of an absolutely adorable son. Yes. And I wonder what he's taught you about curiosity. Well, uh, just a just a ton. You know, he he has learned so much so quickly he shows the ability to retain new information you know you don't think that kids are really paying attention as much as they are and just because someone doesn't respond or doesn't say anything or doesn't look at you doesn't mean that they're not a hundred percent paying attention to what you say i mean i have sayings that i say when i'm on the phone you know i think he's in the other room and i'm yelling on the phone you know, friendly yelling on the phone. And then he'll later say that, like, Dada, I told you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you told me what? <laughs> it, it is amazing that, you know, you can learn so much at an at a earlier age. He's not even three years old yet. And he, he's putting together sentences. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It being a dad is the best part of life, honestly. Well, I just thought about it because I realized kids are the they're sort of the microcosm of the world in which we live, right? You know, they are they are. They're always paying attention. They're curious about what's going on. They don't always sometimes it's really obvious, sometimes it's not. And I thought there's gotta be something about that that we carry 
into our adulthood, into our citizenship, into our democracy. Their minds are still agile, though. That's the that's the problem is once you hit that 25, 26 year old frame, people have their ideas, their you know, who they are, how they do things. And so I think that's what this podcast is about is is kind of cracking into that and yep. um, and, and being able to recognize that you don't know everything and it's okay to it's okay to say that it's okay to accept that and it's okay to to take in new information and know that others know more than you do well said well said so i'm going to invite you to play a little game with me before okay. before we go you game for my big jar wannabe analogies oh yeah okay okay so here it is literal big jar i've got slips of paper in here i'm gonna take one for you one for me one for the audience we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips. Okay. Mine is sauna. How is curiosity like a sauna? Yours is carousel. Um, and I have one for the audience. So do you want to go first or you want me to go ahead? Let's, let's see how you do it. Okay. okay. So how is curiosity like a sauna? Um, well, I guess there's some of the obvious things. I mean, it, it can get kind of hot and sticky. Um, and um, But, you know, there are many traditions in which a sauna, a, a heat bath like that, is really perceived as kind of a cleansing and important mm -hmm. for our health. And I think sometimes the sticky discomfort, the heat of curiosity is good for us. Mm -hmm. So that's how curiosity is like a sauna. How is curiosity like a carousel? I think a carousel, um, curiosity is like a carousel because you, you are able to recognize that and be at a different place, putting yourself in the shoes of another person because you can literally, having been curious, you spin around and literally see things from their perspective. Oh, when you nice. get off the ride, you'll be at, likely at the same place as when you started, but at least you've had that view on how the park looks from this angle. <laughs> nice, nice, very nice. And audience, yours is pillow. How is curiosity like a pillow? Let me know on social media, hashtag analogy. Well, Matt, thank you so much for this. I know what a crazy busy schedule you have, so I really appreciate you making time for I this. I appreciate you, Lynn. I appreciate you. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find all my episodes, more than 200 now, on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me here, there, and on social media at Choose to be Curious, where you can share your pillow analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to Matt Rogers, links to him, his podcast, all on my website, where you'll also find links to that research from Dan Cahan. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Town Market from One Such Village via Blue Dot Sessions. It's easy in the heat of a big political year to fall prey to ragging on politicians and public servants. But I want to express my profound appreciation for the people who step up to serve their communities and do so with real integrity and curiosity, seeking to make life better for all of us. It's no small thing. So the next time you feel yourself clinging to an idea, take a pause, choose to be curious. Let me know how it goes. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. <laughs>